0: Hey, welcome to today's episode of Transform Your Workplace. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. It just never ends. Small to mid-sized businesses are drowning in an ever-changing demand of HR administration and compliance. It's not right, and you shouldn't have to lose focus on your growth to take care of your people. So if you're looking to buy back your time, go check out Zenium's Complete HR Plus Payroll Solution. At ZeniumHR.com. All right, today's episode features Curtis Bateman. Curtis is the author of Change: How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. And if you've been through any change inside of an organization, whether on a team as an individual, you know that it can be really challenging for a lot of people. uh, Whether it's it's emotional or it's just really hard to change because you're resisting uh, or you've been doing it a certain way for so long that there's so much friction involved. Well, Curtis is here to share a model for how to get through change effectively. And I think you're really gonna love what he has to say. So whether you're an HR professional, a leader or an individual contributor, you're gonna get a lot out of this because this really speaks to all different types of people and wherever you're at inside of a change, I think you're gonna really get a lot of insight from this conversation. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you liked what you heard, make sure to hit that subscribe button if you're not a subscriber. And of course, we love written reviews, ratings on Apple Podcasts, and share it on social media with your network or share it with a friend who could get a lot of value from this conversation. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. Thanks for the download. Oh, the other thing is we're taking a break next week for the holidays. Figure most people are probably enjoying time with their families and just with the year end, just going to take a quick little break and be back with you with tons of episodes in January. Thanks for a great 2023 and thanks for supporting the podcast. Enjoy and we'll talk to you in January. Curtis, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be
0: here. So you're the co-author of a book called Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. We're going to be talking about that today. In the first part of the book, you share a parable about change that you know a lot of organizations would go through. Maybe share a high-level version of that to illustrate what organizations might be going through. Yeah, great. Thank you.
1: So um, this is called Who Rocked the Boat is the name of the parable. And it's a story of a ship and her crew and the captain, and they're trying to take the goods to uh, a known location, but in an effort to get there faster, they end up on a river that they, they haven't sailed before. And as they get going along, uh, they hear the sound of a waterfall ahead, and the, the journey takes them over a waterfall, which of course is quite catastrophic to the ship. And then it's the story of the captain and the crew trying to figure out what to do from that point and how they, they navigate their climb back out of the ravine where the ship has crashed. And along the way, the parable, the story explores five characters, move, minimize, weight, resist, and then quit and quits. And, of course, the captain. And it explores each of these reactions to change And and how a leader can be involved with those reactions to change to create a successful experience with change. And so as the ship is sailing along, it goes over the waterfall, and that represents this introduction of a significant change. And then the journey back up the cliff on the other side and the innovation that it takes. So it's it's meant to be a fun, lighthearted way to explore what I call a predictable pattern of change which is labeled in business terms, you know, the change model. But it's exploring this journey through a predictable pattern of change and how each of us as human beings have different reactions and those reactions are okay. But then we talk about how to take those and figure out a way to move forward. So fun little story, it's illustrated. Uh, you don't get a lot of illustrated business books, but we had an illustrator out of California. It's, it's just really fun to read.
0: I can sense that probably a lot of organizations could could resonate with this and just the pattern of what you experienced throughout that change. Um, Have you got that feedback from organizations of all sizes that like, hey, this, wow, this represents like what we've gone through in the past. I'm just curious what people have said.
1: Yeah, I always ask that question. When I talk about either the parable or the change model, I'll, I'll pause and say, does this match your lived experience at work, at home? And Always, every time the answer is, "Uh uh-huh, yep, it does. What's funny is sometimes leaders want to pretend that that pattern doesn't exist. So that's why it's always curious to explore. Are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? And the answer is always yes. It's really, it's helpful because it helps people realize, Oh, this is difficult, but I'm not alone. It's not unique to me.
0: You talked about those common reactions to change: it's move, minimize, wait, resist, and quits. Do you find that it's those reactions are at the individual level, the leader level, the the team level? Like, what? Give me some sense for like where those reactions are coming from.
1: Uh, and I label them. Five common reactions. There's probably a hundred different kinds of reactions. But but the reason I went with these is they illustrate a spectrum of enthusiasm to resistance. And they do commonly show up, but they're human reactions. So as we think about that, individuals are going to exhibit these reactions. But leaders are individuals also. And that puts them in a funny position because they might be experiencing that reaction while trying to also be in their role as a leader. So there's a little bit of tension between the two, that, but every human being that's at the personal level where they experience it.
0: Maybe take a couple of those reactions and talk about the advantages and disadvantages because there are, uh, there are both sides of the spectrum, right?
1: There are. And I'm glad you picked up on that because I think people want to use these as labels. Oh, you're this. Now, in this context, I might be reacting this way. And the reaction isn't right or wrong. What's important is, as you asked, what are the strengths and what are the limitations of it? So, for example, let's take move. Move might be quite energized by a change that gets announced. And that's positive, right? You get energy, you get engagement, you get somebody that really wants to go with you. But often move will race ahead of the change without the information. And and then they're wondering where is everybody, and why am I on the wrong page? And so, moves strengths are the engagement and the activity. Moves weaknesses are I might get ahead of myself. And so leaders can recognize that, or individuals can, and help manage that. And then you marry the strength with the benefit. Um, another one might be: um, Let's take the very the last one on the other side of the kind of the spectrum, and that is quits. Quits is, is an individual that says, I see this change and I'm out of here. Um, they actually opt out. They leave. So what's the benefit? Well, the, the benefit is they realize the change isn't for them. So they're not trying to do something that doesn't work for them. And they're not actually dragging their leader or the organization along that that journey of I don't want to do this. What I always find interesting and this is the other side of the coin for quits, they're, they're actually introducing a significant different change for themselves. And they may not realize that, oh, that's got some consequence. They feel good about it because they chose it rather than the change being chosen for them. But sometimes when people, um, as they say in England, toss their toys out of the pram, right, they, they throw all their toys out, they don't realize they're actually initiating another change that they may or may not be as positive about, but they've gone ahead and done it. So with every one of these, there, there are both sides of it. And if you, if you recognize that we can work to the strengths and try and offset some of the negative or less, less valuable pieces.
0: A couple of them that make me a little uneasy is the wait and resist. And, and I only say that because in this, this business environment, like technological change and even external factors of economic, you know, inflation, like, there's a lot of of factors. And if we're not, if we're just waiting or resisting change, I worry about those, like, it seems like a big disadvantage, whereas maybe you can talk about some advantages of waiting and resisting.
1: Yeah, that's a great um, highlight in our environment. Keep in mind that these reactions are being talked about in the story at the point the change is introduced if we stick with that reaction for the rest of the change process, every one of the reactions will be negative. There will be a negative consequence. So this is the idea of trying to meet people where they're at when the change is introduced. And there is a reason for weight. Weight is saying, you know, I have seen so many organizational changes introduced and a large percentage of them fizzle out. So from an energy, from a focus, from a produce results point of view, they might be saying, I'm just going to give it a moment to make sure this is one where I really should invest. And I don't think that's an unreasonable position. Um, As long as they're aware of that and they're being intentional about it, and as long as they're in communication with their leader, um, it's not an unreasonable starting point for some because then they can say aha this change really is moving ahead i'm ready now now resist starts to trend a little differently resist is saying i don't like this change and i'm going to push back on you pretty hard about it and resist might be that individual at the water cooler saying can you believe this we're not doing this are you with me and and that starts to be risky i think from a leadership point of view it's important to identify, is this person just against the change or are they in a persuadable space? And if they're in a persuadable space, the question is what will persuade them? And that's where the leadership capability comes in to say, how can I persuade them to move towards the, I'm for the change? Um, If you find they're really against the change, you, you may have misdiagnosed. They may be more like quit or quits that are saying, hey, this just isn't for me. But most of the time, resist is in a persuadable space, and it's their experience bias that's causing them to push back. I've seen this before. It doesn't work out well for me. It doesn't work for the organization, and I'm going to try and help everybody see that. So learn why they're resisting. They may have a valid point, something that senior leaders have overlooked. And so there's, there's a little bit of peel the onion there. And once you do, the persuadable piece kicks in, and you can start to move.
0: You introduce a change model in the book, and on one axis, the Y axis is results, and then on the X is over time. um, Maybe share that model in each of those zones.
1: So there are two axes, as you described, and the one that goes up and down, or vertical for people who want to use that, um, is looking at results. The higher you go, the better the results are. This can be confusing to people because the starting point is, oh, you mean financial results. No, I mean any kind of outcome. Employee engagement, attrition rates, maybe it's leader trust, maybe it is sales numbers, maybe it's cost numbers, maybe it is financial performance, maybe it's client retention. Results can be anything that we measure or care about. And then across the other axis, the horizontal axis, left to right, is time, because changes take place over a period of time. So what happens is we're performing at a level of result, and the change model shows that. While we're performing at this predictable historical level of result, we're in what I call the zone of status quo. We're comfortable. We know what to expect. We show up up every day. It's fairly predictable. But during this stage, leaders might be recognizing the need for something different. Maybe there's a change in regulation, maybe there's um, an acquisition, something that causes a change, either internal or externally initiated. And when that happens, that moment where the change is introduced, we enter a new zone and always the, the graph starts to go down. Why is that? Because results are impacted. Maybe employee engagement's a little less because we're asking them to do something different. Maybe it leads to higher turnover, or maybe there is something going on with revenue. But whatever it is, those results go down, and they continue to trail down while individuals deal with their reaction to change, and they come to grips with what's changing, why is it changing, and what does it mean for them? Right, it's very personal at that point. And this zone of disruption can carry on for a prolonged period of time if we're not enabling individuals to get answers to those questions. And so there's some leadership skills that we can talk about that help with that. But as we, as we get those questions answered, we pass through a, a doorway into implementing the change. It's called the point of decision. And hopefully this is where the downward trajectory is, you know, we bottom out. And people say, all right, I've dealt with my reaction, I understand the answers to the questions, I'm ready to start working on the change. And we go through this energy to create, to discover, to figure out new working patterns, and it's a messy space. This is actually the zone of adoption, and it's where most changes start to fail. They start to run short of what the organization or the leader wanted because it's hard work, but we are climbing back up the results scale Um, As we figure out what's working, we might have something we try, it doesn't work, we fall backwards, we try again, we try something new. And we, we work our way back up the results scale because the point of making a change is to get better results. And once we get back to the starting level of results, it's funny, a lot of organizations will bail out at this point. Yes, we did it! And all they've done is incurred the dip, the cost of the change. But our model explores... How do we go beyond that to get to the benefit of the change? And we do this by entering the zone of innovation. Of course, innovative activities have been happening, but the zone of innovation says how do we learn from everything we've done in the change and then go beyond that? We discovered this. I wonder if we did this, what it might lead to? Or what if we tried this? Could we get even better results? And that's where we start to get into the zone of innovation and produce outcomes, results that are higher and better. And the area under the curve in that zone represents all the benefit of the change. And we need that benefit to be greater than the cost space of the change. And so the model is explanatory of what's happening. It's diagnostic of where we are. And it's informative from a leadership level around Good decision making around the cost of change and the benefit of the change, and then we overlay on top of that individual leadership skills to help people learn how to thrive with it
0: for organizations that might be facing multiple disruptions at one time, could you be possibly going through this model in, in a lot of different cases simultaneously you could you could and this is
1: where it can get intellectually like mind blowing for people and so so the approach i 've taken over time because i 've seen people try and draw this Compounded change model. Of all these, and I'm like, nope. The the reality is, if we take each change and we just take a snapshot of it and say, where is this change in the model? Where are the individuals? Where's the organization? What's our next step? And then hit play again and let people keep working and look at the other change and do the same. Then it's it's far more constructive because we focus on what's the one or two things we need to do on this initiative. The other thing it helps leaders do is realize, wait a minute, I've got 20 of these. That's too much for anybody. Rather than trying to compound it and do it all at once. By looking at each one uniquely, it helps create some clarity. And it also helps them realize, I've got two things on this one, four things on this one. What should we stop doing to give people the space and the time to not burn out, but to have the energy to work on? it?
0: When we talk about change I mean, what kind of change are we talking about here? Like when, especially when we're talking about putting it into this model, is it like external disruptions uh, that we're forced to change? Is it, you know, maybe it's a technological shift internally. Like what, what kinds of change are are we talking about when it comes to organizations?
1: I want to call out one point that you talked about. You, You just listed four or five things that in the context of our conversation today, we would label as a change. But if I show up in a business and they say, oh, we're implementing a new software. Or, oh, this has happened. Leaders often don't frame it as a change. And when they don't, they miss the benefit of the predictable pattern and understanding what's going on with their people. So I think that's an important watch out, is to recognize that what you are talking about are changes. And the model applies in every one of those. Externally imposed changes. Maybe maybe it's new tariffs, right? We live in a world of increasing tariffs. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's regulation. Maybe it's a new government tax process. Maybe it is a competitive force, or maybe it's strategic leaders in a room saying, this is what's next, this is what's next. Maybe it's just at a team level where, it, where a sales leader saying, our numbers aren't where they need to be, so we're gonna do these three things, and we're looking for a behavior change. Or perhaps it's even at a personal level, because the model works for every single change scenario.
0: How do leaders communicate the why and link to the change? That, that, this seems like the hardest part of it is bringing people along and explaining wh- like why we're doing what we're doing.
1: Yeah. And what makes it hard for leaders is they've been working on this in the boardroom for six months. And so they've already been going through this mental paradigm shift around the change. And it's funny because they then appear and go, ta-da, we're going to make this change. And and the whole organization's going, what? And and lead, leaders lose track of, well, why aren't you with us? Well, because we haven't been in those meetings for six months. And, and that activates the need for two of the five leadership skills I talk about. Uh, these aren't actually covered in the book, but We'll we'll reveal them here. Um, Vision, communication, alignment, engagement, and accountability. And it's the vision and communication piece where leaders have to really polish their change skills to create a story of where are we right now? And what are the factors going on that mean we should change? And then the next step of translation is to say, and so what does that mean? We're asking the organization to move from and to move towards. And then inviting the next level of leaders to take that story, what I call a case for change. What's changing? Why is it changing? How did we get here? And what are we moving from and to? And as leaders prepare that story and they share that story, and then they allow the next level of leaders to adopt that for their departments or their teams, it starts to translate strategy into tactics. Because the story for the software development team around what's changing and why or what are we moving from and to is different than the finance team, and it's different than the ops team, but it's all aligned under that case for change. And if leaders will build the case for change, and then they'll allow for feedback to say, well, what about this? Or this wasn't clear. Then we get the story and the behaviors that we want to move from and to to start to develop and emerge throughout the organization. And they're aligned. They're aligned with why. And that takes a lot of work. And leaders want to skip past that, right? They want to skip past the zone of disruption. They want to go to, great, we're doing it now. And, and it's, it's nice, but I've yet to see that ever be true. I've had leaders say, well, can't we skip that? No, only if you want to do it without people. But if you want to bring your people along, this process of storytelling to align them helps them answer those three questions what's changing why is it changing what does it mean to me they move to the point of decision faster the amount of time in the zone of disruption decreases cost of change decreases we have better engagement as we start to work through the zone of adoption
0: change is tough and and most you know a lot of leaders are are going through change without even really labeling it as such and I think it takes a really specific skill set and a, a very specific mindset to get through any change and to get people aligned, bring people along. What kind of skills are really needed to get through any big change?
1: <laughs> well, I want to, I want to land on the changes tough. Let's just agree. Let's agree. Um, and what I'm proposing isn't the silver bullet. What I'm saying is what if as leaders, we could play our part and make the next change 20% better. What value would that create? what would it mean to your people and to you because so many leaders land on the leadership scene because they were brilliant individual contributors but a software developer learning to code didn't go through how do i lead change in school and and a salesperson didn't and so none of them arrive on the scene with the skills you're asking about and so one of the things that we've we've done is we've tried to create some shortcuts or not to diminish the importance of it, but because they don't arrive in those leadership roles having thought about how do I lead change, we've built these tools. And in each zone, there's a set of tools that if a leader just reads them and asks the questions and engages in the dialogue with people when they do, there's this, this magic that happens where it starts to demystify things. And the more, the more times the leaders use the tools in each of the zones— they suddenly start to develop the skill and over time with repetition, the competency. So I'll give you an example of a couple of tools. In the zone of adoption, one of the things that happens is we're coming up with new ideas around how to implement the change. And so suddenly in a, in a meeting, we've come up with 30 new things to go do. And everybody in the room is thinking, I already have a lot to do. And so there's two tools that we could use here. One is the stop doing list. I mean, that sounds like, oh, duh, but it's the question of, okay, we've got all these new ideas. What are we going to stop doing to create space to try these new things and do it well? But it creates alignment. Oh, we could stop that. You know, this activity, we don't, we may not need that anymore with the change. Great. Let's put that on the stop doing list. And it helps leaders bring that to the surface. Uh, Another thing that goes on is people are going to say, but we've got this obstacle, this obstacle, this obstacle. How do we handle all that? So I've got a tool in there called hurdles, quicksand, and brick walls. And it's a sorting tool that says, all right, hurdles are things our team can resolve. Out of this list of problems, we can figure these out. We'd have to leap over them. They're going to take a little effort. Quicksand is more along the lines of we're stuck. But if, if somebody can throw us a rope, like our boss, our leader, we probably can work through it. And brick walls are the ones where the leader says, I've got to go figure these out for our team. I've got to go into the business and figure these out. But it's pretty liberating for a team to go, aha, we've identified all these problems. But they're no longer nebulous. They're sorted in a way that we figure out how we can take action on them. And so all along the journey, I've tried to build tools like this that you go, oh, duh, but it's easy enough for anybody to engage with it and get some real value creation that helps progress along the change model.
0: In the book, you have this uh, neat little illustration of a, of a graph, and it just compares how change affects an organization versus how change affects an individual, and it's it's different, right? So maybe explain how, how change affects the, the organization versus the individual.
1: What jumped out at you on that? I'm curious what led you to ask
0: the question. So what... What I found is, I think, because individuals are emotional, and so the change feels really drastic for an individual because everybody's experiencing it differently versus an organization, uh, the chart showed the, the change not affecting the organization as much, probably because of that. That's right. So
1: let me tell you a little anecdote about that, more on our boat metaphor. When a change is introduced, we, we actually throw everyone into a storm, if we use the metaphor of like a storm on the sea. But in that storm, because it's such a unique experience for each of us, you might feel really prepared. So you're in a yacht navigating the storm. It's not comfortable. You might get a little seasick, but I might be in my canoe on the same storm. And that's going to be a really rough experience. And so one of the things that's happening is yes, we're all experiencing the same change, but our preparation and our being equipped for that. Is different. Stage of career, circumstances at home, maybe perhaps the level of financial stability, maybe it's my comfort with my skill set. And, and so at the start of a change, a leader is taking this broad spectrum of preparation or lack of preparation and reaction, emotional reaction, and experience with change, and trying to get all of those people aligned and figuring out how to move together. And so, for the human component of it, there is a lot of turbulence there for some percentage of the team. And that's why that illustration in the book is showing the, oh my goodness, from the individual point of view. In fact, we have some data that says 88% of individuals, when a change is announced, think the change will lead to something worse for themselves. That's not that it will or it won't, that's their perception and their perception is their reality until we help them see their reality differently. So what happens with the organizational point of view is the organization is going to drive ahead with the change. And maybe one leader is better at leading their people through it. And so it it compresses all of that to less volatility. And when you take a system effect across all of that, right, like the law of averages, it smooths it out for the organization. And that's what you're experiencing. The organization is also not emotional, right? The organization us
0: just- <laughs> well, make Yeah, the law of average just <laughs> takes place because it's like, yeah, it does smooth out. It's like a bunch of people, range of emotions. And it's like, man, eh, the organization is pretty, pretty steady Going through the change, but making it through. But, you know, for those that are overwhelmed, the individuals, what can leaders do? Maybe they ask. They can ask some questions um, and, and help bring people along when it feels so overwhelming? What, what are some of the things that we can do as leaders?
1: Um, the first thing is, as a leader, to, to make an effort to identify where you think each person's reaction is. That's why the first part of the book talks so much about the, the different kinds of reactions to the change, and that's why the first part of the book talks about the zone of disruption. What are we seeing people feeling, thinking, and doing? And and as we use all of those clues, then as a leader, we can say, aha, this person is here and needs this. And we see the ship's captain do that in the story. We don't call it out. But if we look, the ship's captain has different discussions with different people about where they are. And so that's where the the role of the leader is highlighted as the, the fulcrum of change, not the senior leader, but my leader. My leader knows me, I'm more likely to trust them. They're more likely to know what's going on in my circumstance. And when that's the case, then the leader says, all right, I need to have this conversation with this person. And this person needs a little help from me here. And in a team meeting, this is what I need to do. Will that take every wrinkle in the shirt and iron it smooth? No, but it sure makes it a lot better. It sure makes it a lot better. And then you're able to make progress because people think you hear me, You know where I live, and you're paying attention to me. And so there's this this empathy and trust. And in the book, we provide lots of different questions leaders can use. Because some leaders will go, I don't know what to ask. Great. There There are questions. Just read the questions in the book, and they'll help you. But it starts to allow you to iron out some of those wrinkles. And as you do, the team moves closer together, and you help people move through the zone of disruption.
0: So once organizations get adoption, change happens, maybe we step into the innovation zone, you know, what ways can we celebrate the change or gain momentum? So that way, when the next change happens, we can just do this flywheel approach and, and have success every time, you know, like perfect world.
1: <laughs> well, you, you, you've highlighted some of the things to do. So in the zone of innovation, there are three things that I encourage to kind of amplify the value of the change. One is to tell the story of the change. I have found that if, if you go out and tell stakeholders that are tangential or um, parallel to the change, maybe it's an outside vendor you work with closely, or maybe it's another team, and tell them the story of the change. Because they're proximate to your team, they may, may say things to you like, well, did you think about this? And, and that gives you this motivation to say, oh, we didn't think about that. But that could lead to... So storytelling, celebrating small wins along the way, that's a leader's job. Hey, we're struggling, but look at this. This was awesome. Let's celebrate that. And and those types of things where you activate curiosity allow you to amplify the change. Well, why is that important? Because it helps us recognize we're being successful with the change. It shifts our starting point for the next change. That last one went well. The next thing we can do is when the change does start to settle down into the status quo, our propensity is to say, Whew. But, but if we can say, great, we're going we're gonna to take a little breather, but what are the things we see on the horizon that we could be preparing for? So if we'll, if we'll do some preparation work and we'll finish off the change strong so that we, we implant in our experience by success from the change, Those two things really help us move into the next change with with an increased level of, of success and capability.
0: Curtis, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. This has been a, a really fun discussion. Um, the book is great. And I think for many organizations facing change, whether they call it change or not, they're going through it. And it, it's nice to have a model and some tools to, to go through. So I don't know if there's anything else you want to say in, in parting or, or point people to, to the book or your website, anything like that. Yeah, two thoughts for them.
1: Um, first of all, we, we get excited about the change model. And it's, it's interesting, I've asked people to go away and draw it for a friend in the pub that night or draw it with their teenager and just teach it to them. It's that easy to learn. And what I find is the simplicity of learning and understanding the model makes a difference. So if people do nothing more from our conversation today but just learn how to look at that model and use it, they will be better off, it will help them. The second thing I would say is we just absolutely love to help leaders and organizations with these kind of challenges, And this is what we do at Franklin Covey all day long. We work with leaders and organizations to help them with their big issues where we need a change in human behavior. And we've got tools and and resources to help with that. So if you go to FranklinCovey.com, you can find me there in the different bios with the book. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I write about it. I'm sharing new content about it all the time. But we we have a way and a passion for helping leaders and organizations with this. And would just love to talk to anybody that feels like that might be of value.
0: My guest today has been Curtis Bateman, the co-author of Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. Curtis, thanks for coming on.
1: Pleasure, Brandon. Thank you.
0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on transform your workplaces for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.